How many here love the Lord this morning? You know, and I, I believe that. I believe that you've gathered today because you're in love with Jesus and you want to know who Jesus is. We, we've been talking about transition and the opportunity that is in transition. In fact, we took our little intermission and had faith promise, which was, by the way, how much did we raise? Does anybody know? Our goal was 120,000. You know how many pledges we ended up with? 120,000. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. That's right. And so we end up with, uh, we have this little intermission, and, and now I want to come back and just kind of wrap up our thoughts in regards to transition or the opportunity that we have in transitions when, when change is happening. And, uh, you know, I, I cannot think of a greater transition than, than that of Advent. Because, you know, in Advent, of course, Jesus Christ, the Savior, comes. And what is introduced to mankind is this huge transition from a time where there's a dispensation of law and man is under law and to this point where we are now under grace, a new dispensation. And it's not just the grace of God, but it is the abundant and extravagant mercy of God that we discover in that grace. Amen. And so what do we have? What is the opportunity in this transition is the abundant and wonderful mercy of God. And if you've not experienced that mercy, you've not experienced that grace, we want to invite you to experience the grace of Jesus Christ because it's real. Amen. And so we, we, we've been learning a lot about transition and that there is this opportunity. And we see uh, the, the lesson in the story of Moses and Joshua. And remember Moses leading God's people and he brings them right up to the brink of the promised land. And then the torch is passed from Moses to Joshua. And we learn some stuff from that. And then the next Sunday we spoke about Ecclesiastes and that there is a season for everything. And yes, there's a season to mourn and a season to laugh and a season to cry and a season to rejoice. And that in spite of whatever season you may be in, that God is still God. That God is Jehovah Jireh. That God is still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the mighty God. Amen. And we discovered that in the book of Ecclesiastes, that God is the mighty God and the creator of all seasons. Amen. And so we just kind of, you know, nod and recognize the, the sovereignty God, the sovereignty of God in transition. And then this morning I find myself in First in Kings in chapter 5. I invite you to go there with me today. Uh, let's go to First Kings chapter 5. And, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 actually and kind of land on verse 5. Because there is something that, that we learn. In fact, Solomon, he, he points out some of the lessons that, that we learn from David. And I want to I highlight some of those this morning. As we consider David and, of course, God's people in regards to learning from our transitions, learning from the changes that that we go through as a church and as individuals and as families, because change is a part of the experience of life. So follow me as we go to first Kings chapter five. And let's begin at verse one. When Hiram, king of Tyre, heard that Solomon had been anointed king to succeed his father David, he sent his envoys to Solomon, because he had always been on friendly terms with David. Solomon sent back this message to Hiram. You know that because of the wars waged against my father, David from all sides, my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side and there is no adversary 
or disaster. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David, when he said, Your son whom I will put on the throne in your place will build the temple for my name. Let us pray. Precious Father in heaven, I I thank you for the word today. I I thank you, Lord, for, Lord, every scenario that we read about in, in Scripture and Lord, the lessons that each one contain. And I pray that, Father in heaven, that you would just bless this reading today. I pray, Lord, that you will be glorified in everything that is that is said and, and what is shared here. And I pray that, Lord, that you would just touch that, that one heart, that one spirit this morning that needs to hear your voice. I pray that that, that would happen, Lord, that we would quiet ourselves enough. In spite of all the busyness of life. And in spite of all, yes, the changes, the transitions, that we would quiet ourselves enough that we could hear your sweet voice and that we'd hear your truth and that, Lord, that it would impact our lives and that maybe that we would be changed a little bit because of it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts as we look at this word today and we understand it. So, Lord, I pray your blessing upon the word. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, I understand for David, I mean, going back that far, that long ago, King David, you know, the hope of, of and the culmination of the ministry of David would, would be realized in what he would see as the building of the temple of the Lord. We understand that. Now, to say that, we need to understand how that fits in history just a little bit in regards to God's chosen people. I mean, it begins with the conquest of Canaan. Remember, of course, speaking about Moses and Joshua and Moses coming up to the brink of the promised land. And, of course, Joshua taking the torch. And, and, and then the leadership of, of God's people was literally it was the voice of God. Through the major prophets that God was speaking through and, and he, the, the, the nation follows that, that leadership into the time of, of Samuel. And then we read in the word of God, the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and they said to him, they said to Samuel, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. And so at this point, they're saying, okay, we want to be like the Joneses. We want to be like the other nations. Why can we not have a king like all the other nations? And so, of course, what happens is Samuel anoints Saul, and then that long, tumultuous reign begins. The king Saul that we understand, we've read about, and and then we have David. Of course, David, a man after God's own heart, a man that though he had the anointing of God, he wrestled with sin and struggled in the wilderness. And and, and he was a great man and a great visionary. But yet, in spite of all of that, he knew what it meant to wait upon the Lord. He knew what it meant to wait for God's perfect timing. I mean, he, he knew what it meant to recognize his wrongs, to correct the sins that was in his life. And, and he did. He corrected them. He, he knew what it meant to resist temptation, the temptation of, uh, of taking over power when those that were following him wanted to give him the power. He said no, and he waited upon the Lord, and, and he knew That God was doing something that, though that others did not understand, but God was working through David's life. And it seems like that thing that he was so focused on, as he becomes king, that thing that he was so focused on was the temple of the Lord. And in fact, go with me to 2 Chronicles 
And I'm just kind of trying to set the background here for just a little bit. Second Chronicles chapter 22. And we begin to read there in verse 1. We read, then David said, listen to this. Then David said, the house of the Lord God is to be here and also the burnt offering for Israel. So David gave orders to assemble the foreigners residing in Israel. And from among them, he anointed or appointed, excuse me, he appointed stone cutters to prepare dressed stone for building the house of God. He provided a large amount of iron to make nails for the doors of the gateways and for the fittings and more bronze than could be weighed. And I don't know what their, their scale system was like at that time, but imagine that much bronze. They had, they had, they had piled up so much bronze that they could not weigh the amount of bronze that they had. And so I'm trying to imagine my mind's eye. Here's the intention. Here, here's what David is wanting to do. He really wants to, in the culmination of his ministry, in all of his reign, he wants to bring glory to God, the very pinnacle of the reign, by building the temple of the Lord. And they gather so much bronze that they cannot weigh it. And, and then he continues, we continue to read here, he also provided more cedar logs than could be counted. Now, I imagine they could probably count pretty high at that time, but there were piles and piles, I mean, stockpiles of logs, so many logs that they could not be counted. For the Sidonians and the Tyrians had brought large numbers of them to David. And so, obviously, the high point, I mean, the very pinnacle of of his reign would be bringing glory to God by building the temple. But in this particular transition, at this particular time, For God's people. Building the temple of God was not in God's timing. In fact, we have to hand it to David because David understood that though though he had prepared the ground and though that was it was the desire that David had, King David was to build the great temple of the Lord that in spite of his desire, David understood that God was going to have somebody else build that temple. In fact, looking at our text, Solomon refers back to his father. We, we just read the text together. And, and D, David teaches us something about transition. Because even though that he was trying to build the ground and wanting to build the temple, he, he waits upon the Lord. He, he waits upon the Lord. And I don't know if I can emphasize it enough and, and communicate well enough with you the, the, the need for us to be patient and to really wait upon the Lord. Because I don't know about you, but I get kind of antsy. I get kind of excited when I think about the things of God. And, and you know, I, I kind of, you know, probably a lot like you and you're like, sometimes I want it all right now. But what God is challenging us to do, maybe, is just to wait upon the Lord. So David teaches us something about transition. And, and the fact is, if we look at the life of David, David had done a tremendous amount of work in regards to what it was that God was going to do in the generations to follow. And the first thing that David does, I mean, look at the passage. Go back to our original passage in our text this morning. Is what David does is he, he is at the business of defending the kingdom of God. He's defending the kingdom of God. In fact, it says there in verse 3, go back to verse 3, it says that there were enemies on all sides. And I guess what I'm trying to say, it's likely that if David had not done what he did, Solomon would not have had the opportunity that he had to build the temple of God. Let me say that again. If David had not done what he did, Solomon would not have the opportunity to do what he had done. Amen. 
This is the, the opportunity of transition. In the midst of what it is that we're saying, hey, man, this, this, I don't like what's going on. But we need to recognize in the midst of what we do not like that's going on, that God is a sovereign God. And that he is working in those circumstances that may not make sense. And so we recognize his sovereignty, not only in the church, but maybe we recognize the sovereignty in our families. And maybe we recognize the sovereignty in the life of that child that we've been praying for, because it seems like the child is off track. And I understand as a parent, we anguish over that. And we have to understand and embrace the fact that God is sovereign no matter the circumstances. And that that God, it's very likely that God is probably preparing things. You know, he's preparing us so that the circumstances are just right. Have you ever been there before? I mean, have you ever been in a place where you, you, you've decided, wow, the circumstances here, I mean, the, the situation is just right. It seems like there's things that are happening that I could have never planned myself that God is bringing together and things are just right. Have you ever experienced that where you're in a situation where things are just right? Kind of like Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve and the family is gathered and everybody's made it safely to your home. It's Christmas Eve and mom is cooking peanut brittle. My mom liked to cook peanut brittle and, and sometimes she'd burn it, but not all the time. But I mean, it was, it was the conditions were just right because the peanut brittle's not burned. The conditions are just right because the lights are twinkling on the Christmas tree. And, and the temperature of the house is just right and you hear the Christmas music playing in the background. Oh, come all you faithful. There's presents under the tree. The conditions are just right. And guess what? It begins to snow outside. And the conditions are just right for making family memories. And you just remember that time. And the conditions are just right. I'll never forget just a, a few years ago, I was going to Treveca to receive my, my master's degree. And I, I, I thought, you know, I want to bring the whole family. I want to bring the extended family and the close family and my kids and my mom that was in a nursing home. And so uh, Heidi and I, we decided to rent an RV, a motor home. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've never owned a camper. I've never owned an RV. I've never had a motor home. I have no idea what black water and gray water is. And for some of you young people, if you've not been around, just take a moment and use your creative mind to understand what Blackwater is. And we rented the motor home and decided to take this trip from Florida to Nashville. And in a car, it was about 11 hours, in a motor home, about 18 hours. And we, uh, I think it was a Class C or C-Class motor home. And, and so we rented this big motor home and we loaded the family up. And there were all the obstacles. I mean, the conversations and the scheduling and our jobs and the kids' work. And, and then there was some, you know, a little bit of arguing here and there. I mean, just the normal things. It was a family experience that you'd expect when everybody's living there in the same little tiny home. And we make it to Nashville after about 18 hours. I had no idea it would take that long. And we make it to Nashville after about 18 hours. It's late at night. It's dark. The sun is set about 11 o'clock at night. And I'm looking for an RV park. I don't even notice RV parks. What's an RV park? And so I finally find an RV park. And I, I, I realize I, I have to find one because, you see, the Blackwater is full. 
And so I pull into the RV park there just off of one of the highways or the freeways there. And, and I, 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 I ask somebody, where's the dump station? They say, over there. See that pole? And so I drive over there by this pole. And by the way, there's no light on the pole, or if there's a light, it was out at that time. And so there was no light, and there was no direction, and I had no idea what I was doing. And so I uh, come around, and my brother comes out with me, and I'm in shorts and flip-flops and a t-shirt, and and I squat down, and I'm looking at the gray water and the black water, and I've got this hose that i got to pull out and attach, and what's this lever for? And I'm reading the directions, and I'm reading the directions, and I, well, maybe I need to open it up first. And I turn that lever, and all of a sudden, like a bomb, this black water, I'm saying black water, blows all over me, and I fall back on my bottom, and I stand up, and I look at myself, and I say, ooh, ooh. This is terrible. My brother sitting over here, standing over there, he had flip-flops on. A little bit got on his foot. Just a little bit. And he starts yelling at me. I said, what are you talking about? Look at me. Ooh. Pretty soon the family starts coming out. And, of course, it's a big, funny rage thing. And, and uh, so I find a gas station. I buy four bottles of alcohol hand cleaner. Four. And I take a bath in this alcohol hand cleaner. And so, of course, you know, the rest of the trip, they're talking about Tony getting blasted with the black water. It was terrible. Don't laugh. (laughs) But, you know, in a funny kind of way, as we're laughing and we now have a story to tell, the conditions were just right for making family memories. (laughs) Amen. And I look at the kingdom of God sometimes. I look at the kingdom of God. And even though it might feel like we're being hit with black water. Maybe God is making the conditions just right. For him to do something. If you believe God is sovereign. If you believe he's sovereign. And so that in these conditions that God is doing something and working something for his good and for his glory. And I thank the Lord for David and his example because David, he spent time defending the kingdom. And I defend my right for family memories. And I defend my right to have, you know, bad things happen because I know in the midst of it. I will have these memories of, of, of a great family experience and maybe in the midst of what it is that we call church that God is doing something greater and bigger than we can see. Amen. And it's worth defending. It's worth defending. The, the second thing we recognize that, that David teaches us is, is listening to the voice of God. Look at verse 5. Go back to the original text now. Go to verse 5. And, 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 and Solomon writes, he says, or he says, As the Lord God told my father, David submitted to God's plan and purpose. So see, the example is that, that David was listening to the voice of God. Now listen, church, here's what I'm saying. It's easy to fall in the trap of listening to other voices in church. And I might be meddling just a little bit now. But it's easy to fall into the trap of listening to other voices than the voice of God. Sometimes you have the Mickey Mouse voice. 
You know, the Mickey Mouse voice. It's a high-pitched voice like this. And it's a voice that's incessant. It's a voice that won't ever shut up. It's a voice that keeps on talking about it. And they just won't stop. And you want them to stop. And maybe it's the Mickey Mouse voice that's really, you know, driving you crazy. And you're annoyed by that voice. And you know somebody just like that. (laughs) Or maybe it's the Hulk Hogan voice. I'm mad. I'm mad at everything. I'm mad at the church. I'm mad at the pastor. I'm mad at my blood. I'm mad at the parking lot. I'm just mad. I'm mad about everything. And you're saying, I'm tired of hearing that voice. Or maybe it's the Donald Trump voice. (laughs) I tell you what, if you listen to me, it's going to be wonderful. If you listen to me, you're just going to really have a wonderful time because I'm kind of a wonderful guy. So just do what I say. If we do what I say... You know, everything's going to be wonderful. Or maybe it's the Tony Miller voice, and we need to just praise the Lord. But I thank the Lord that David, he got it right, and he listened to the voice of God. And he was able to hear the voice of the Spirit and understand the voice of the Spirit and allow the voice of the Spirit to lead him and to guide him to what God's perfect will was and is willing to wait upon the Lord. David taught us this. And then the third thing that David taught us, he, he, he showed us how to defend the kingdom. He showed us that we need to listen to the voice of God. But the third thing is that we are to trust that God's plan, listen to this church, we are to trust that God's plan goes beyond our generation. Look at verse 5. Go back to verse 5. He, he writes, or Solomon says, your son will build my temple. David understood this. He heard God's voice. Your son will build my temple. Now, we may easily see the end of something and we think, well, that's it. I mean, oh, it's the end. This is a disaster. But remember the definition of transition that we started with about five weeks ago. The definition of transition is not only the ending of something, it is also the beginning of something. It is the beginning of something that is new and something that is fresh. And if God is a sovereign God, it is something that is going to bring glory to him. Amen. You see, the challenge here is for us to realize that it's not about ourselves. It's not about Tony Miller. It's not even about Mission Church of the Nazarene. It's about the kingdom of God. And in the midst of the changes, in the midst of, of transition or whatever it is that, that, that we are involved in, we need to recognize that God is God and he is sovereign in every circumstance, in every situation. And hallelujah, I believe that's why we are here. God wants to do something through you. I believe that. I, I love the story of, of uh, the Olympic Games in 1968. It was in Mexico, and it was the very last event of, of the Olympic Games that year, and it was the long-distance marathon. The story's told of a man by the name of John Stephen Aquari. He had taken off with the rest of the runners, of course, and, and it wasn't but uh, a, a few hours, and the first, uh, the first man in, in the race came through the gate of the stadium there, and there was thousands and thousands of people, and and this runner from Ethiopia comes in, and he's way ahead of the pack. And, and of course, the crowd is going wild, and they're screaming. And, and that Ethiopian runner runs across the finish line. He's the winner. And the crowd, ah, the crowd goes wild. But while that's happening, this man from Tanzania, John Stephen Aquari, he's gotten a headache, and something's happening to him physically. And pretty soon, his leg His leg freezes up and something tears in his leg and he falls on his face to the ground. 
he gets back up again and he continues to run. And, and pretty soon his other leg gives out and he falls to the ground again. And he gets himself back up and literally hobbling and trying to make it the rest of the way. And people are telling him, he's saying to, they're saying to John Aquari, you need to quit. You need to, you're going to ruin your body. You need to stop. And he did not stop, but he continued. In fact, an hour after the winner had finished the, the finish line, the winner had crossed the finish line. Uh, John Stephen Aquari comes into the stadium and now only a few thousand people are left. A few camera, a few photograph people. He comes into the stadium and, and now he's hobbling and limply and painstakingly going around the track. I mean, painstakingly making it around to the finish line. And now there's a little bit of energy in the air and there are a few photographs are beginning to be clipped and snapped at him. And, and then finally what happens is John Stephen Aquari falls across the finish line. He falls across the finish line, known as one of the greatest and most heroic efforts in Olympic history. Later on, the reporter asked him, one of the reporters asked him, why didn't you just quit? And he held his head high and he said, my country did not send me here to start a race. My country sent me here to finish a race. And I believe that's exactly why you're here this morning. To finish the race, to keep going. And maybe you need that encouragement for your family or maybe for your personal individual life. You need to hear attaboy or maybe you need to hear words that encourage you. But know this, that God is sovereign. Say that with me. God is sovereign and he's working in your circumstances, whatever they may be. I believe that this morning and we want to give him glory and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. Let's go. Let's stand together and pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for answered prayer. I thank you, Father, that you are, Lord, right in the middle of what's happening. This is your church, Lord. We're your people. And I pray, Lord, that you will just be glorified in everything that that we do here. Lord, as we begin to make our simple efforts to bring glory to you and to be effective in ministry. I pray that, Father in heaven, that, that anybody that comes upon this campus, that, Lord, that they will sense your holy presence, that you are here, that you're to be known in a personal way. And I, I pray, Lord, that you just anoint your people as we move forward. Anoint the church, Lord. I don't know what it is that you want to do, but, Father, we're just saying we trust you that you're sovereign and so God we give you we give you Lord our our heart today and we trust you with our life thank you Father for salvation thank you God for loving us thank you God for never giving up on us and blessing Mission Church of the Nazarene we pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name Amen